Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as we open your words together this morning, that you would speak to us, that we re- you would remind us that we are your people, loved by you, that you would remind us of how great and wonderful you are, that we might rejoice in at all times and in all circumstances to know that we are yours. Father, we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, Pastor Scott introduced a new series for us. This series is in the book of James, and I'm already enjoying this series. We're only one week in, and already I, I just am so blessed to spend time in the book of James because there's so much wisdom in this book. But as he started off last week in uh, the first couple of verses, it, he, he begins to say in verse 2 of James chapter 1, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so I was just thinking about that and and thinking, how did I do this week? I mean, we were encouraged to do that last week, that we would count it all joy when we encountered any kinds of trials, whatever the circumstances or kind of trial that might be. And I thought, now how did I do? When I came across those trials in the last week, having just been encouraged last week to count it all joy, did I in fact count it all joy? And I uh, didn't. I'll I'll just be honest. I, I think I need work in this area. In, in fact, as I continue to read here, it says that, that the reason I should count it all joy is because it's the testing of my faith that produces the steadfastness. And I thought, even in the steadfastness, I am not as steadfast as I would like to be. And then it keeps going, and it says, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. And I thought, oh boy, I didn't even make it two verses and already I was having, having trouble. And so, just on the off chance that you also didn't consider it all joy when you encountered all of the various trials of the past week, and you also have not quite yet attained that perfect and completeness, um, what do we do then? What do we do? And that's what James begins to explain to us now in verse 5. He goes on in verse 5, to say, now, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Isn't that interesting, that that contrast between the way verse 4 ended and the way that verse 5 begins? So verse 4 ends, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so then verse 5 begins... If one of you lacks wisdom, this is what you should do about that. And I think it's interesting that he, he contrasts this, that, that you shouldn't have any kind of lack, but just in case you might lack, and we'll start with wisdom. Just in case you, you lack wisdom, then, then you should ask God for wisdom. And I think the reason that he does this is because if we are in a right relationship with God, if we 
have an understanding of who God is and we are in connection, in relationship with Him, then when we encounter all of the various trials and difficulties, we will find that we uh, encounter those with joy. And that's wisdom. That's wisdom. Right? If you, if you encounter something and it seems hard, like practicing. When you're practicing a sport or a skill of some kind or a musical instrument, very few people go, you know my favorite thing is to practice. That's just not their favorite thing. But we should count it all joy when we practice because we know what it results in, right? That we're not going to get better at this skill, we're not going to get better at this activity unless we practice doing it over and over and over and over again. And so it's wisdom that says, I really like practicing, not because of the practicing itself, but because I know what it produces in me. So it's wisdom that says that. It's foolishness to go to practice and go, this is ridiculous. Why would I do this? This isn't any fun at all. And then when the test comes and you didn't do the studying, or, or when the concert comes and you didn't do the practicing, you find, oh, I wish I had spent a lot more time practicing, or I wish I had done a better job practicing. And I think the same thing is true that as we encounter trials of various kinds, that wisdom says, yes, this is great. Not the, not the trial itself. Nobody wants that. Nobody enjoys that. But, but the wisdom that's going to come out of that, the steadfastness, the faith that's going to come through that, when we maintain our connection with God, that's the thing that we say, yes, this is another opportunity. This is another opportunity to practice my steadfastness in faith. So if we lack that, if we lack that perspective, if we lack that identity that connects us with God and and helps us through those circumstances, then we're lacking the wisdom that, that is needed to get through those kinds of things. And what we should do is we should therefore ask God for wisdom. We should ask God for wisdom. Because we know that He's the one that gives all wisdom. And that He wants to give it to us. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Isn't that great? If you ask God for wisdom, He will not reproach you. Do you know what reproach means? Kids, do you know what reproach means? No? Okay, reproach works like this. If one of my kids on a Saturday morning says, hey, I collected a bunch of slugs and I'm bringing them into the house, I would say, no! You are not allowed to bring slugs into the house. That is a really bad idea. No slugs in the house. That's reproach. That's reproach. To to tell you, no, you cannot do that. That's a really bad idea. That's reproach. But when it comes to wisdom, God would never reproach us for asking for wisdom. If instead my kids come to me on a Saturday morning and instead of saying, hey, I want to bring slugs into the house, if instead they come to me and they say, hey, Dad, can we have waffles? Do you know what I'm going to say? In all likelihood, I'm going to say, yes, 
yes, we can have waffles. Why? Because I love waffles. Because I love making waffles. Because I love watching my kids eat waffles. And because I love sharing waffles with my kids. When you go and you ask God for wisdom, He loves that. He loves that. He loves to give you wisdom. He loves that He is wise. He loves that He gets to share wisdom with you. He loves that. Because wisdom is the knowledge of God. Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That understanding of who God is, is wisdom. Wisdom is, is living life rightly. And so we think of a lot of things as being wise or people as being wise because they do life really well. But the thing is that some people consider those individuals wise just because they're living well according to worldly standards. They're managing their temper well. They're managing their schedule well. They're managing their finances well. They're living life well according to worldly standards. But if there is a God in heaven who wants to have a relationship with us and we do not acknowledge that and have a relationship with Him, then it is not actually wise. You may be accidentally or incidentally wise in certain areas of your life, but not truly wise, not truly having wisdom, unless you really know who God is and live life well in light of who God is. That's the only way we can be truly wise. And if that's the case, then of course God wants to share that with us. Yes, He says, I want you to know how holy I am so that you can live in accordance with how holy I am. Yes, I want you to know how full of joy I am. Yes, I want you to know how loving I am. Yes, I want you to know how much I hate sin. Yes, I want you to know how powerful and awesome and glorious I am. So that you can know and enjoy that and delight in me and live life to its fullest in that knowledge. He loves to give that to His children. He gives it generously to all without reproach. But, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Isn't that great, a great picture? One of the things that I love about James and that I think you will love about James as we go through this is all of the imagery that he uses. And so we have this imagery of, of these waves that are, are tossing things about. And maybe you've seen that. You've seen waves sloshing about and it just sort of tosses stuff up into the air. Which is really impressive to watch, but if you happen to be on a boat or something and the waves are really big and you're the one being tossed, it's a little bit scary. And that's what James is pointing out here. He's saying, look, you have to have faith when you ask. Not in a formulaic kind of way. You have to have this certain amount of faith and then God will give you wisdom. But in a categorical way. That is that God gives you faith as you have, uh, God gives you wisdom as you have faith. 
Right? If we recognize that wisdom is not just living well apart from God, but is living well in light of our relationship with God, then of course we have to have faith. We have to have that belief in God. Not, not just a, I acknowledge that God exists, or that at one time I did acknowledge that God exists. That's not faith. That's not faith. And there will be a lot more about that not being faith in the rest of the book of James. But for now, let's just keep it here. That in our relationship with God, in our faithfulness to our relationship with God, the covenant relationship that we have have with God, that is that He says, I love you and I want you to be My people. I want you to be My child. I have given My Son to die on the cross for your sins so that you might be forgiven of your sin and come to Me and have relationship with Me. And I am so devoted to you. In fact, one of the great pictures throughout the Scriptures is the love of God for His people like a husband loves his wife. And the same picture then is used in the New Testament of Jesus Christ and His church, the way that a husband loves his wife, and therefore, like a wife, is faithful to her husband. We're talking about that that fidelity. And as we are in a faithful relationship with God, we experience the wisdom of God because we live with the understanding of who He is. This is why God loves to give us this wisdom. But, if you don't have that faith, you're going to be tossed about. Not understanding how the world is supposed to work because you don't have that faith in who God is. And so, therefore, you can't have that wisdom He goes on in verse 7 to say, For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Why is that? Well, if you're asking for wisdom from God without faith, in God, it's this double-mindedness. Like if I walk up and I see somebody and they're throwing money into a wishing well and they're wishing for money. Even the kids, this is ridiculous. Why would I throw my money into a wishing well and hope that I will get money back? I might say, well, you must really believe that that wishing well grants wishes if you're willing to throw the money that you currently have into the well, hoping that the well then will give you money back. Oh, no, I don't believe in that kind of silly stuff. What? Why would you do that? You must be double-minded. Unstable in all of your ways. The same thing is true of God. If we're asking God for wisdom that we will somehow then apply apart from Him, right? That's what I think people think that they're asking for when they're asking God for wisdom. Hey God, would you give me wisdom so that I can live life really well without you? Can you give me wisdom, God, 
so that I'll, I'll make the, the best decisions possible. I don't need any help after that. I just need the wisdom so that I can live life by myself. What? That, that's double-minded. In the Greek, literally double-souled. You're like being two different people at the same time. The one that says that they are believing and want something from God and the other that's wanting wisdom that's apart from God. You're, you're trying to be two different people at the same time. Double-minded, double-souled. Two-faced. We can't, we can't do that. And, and so what do you, what do you think? What do you wish that you had wisdom for? How would you, how when you meet those trials of various kinds, do you think that you're going to get through it? Because you see the people that meet those trials and they just do really well as they get through. And so what, what do you think is going to carry you through those trials? So often, I think that, that people just rely on their money. A problem comes up and they're like, well, I've got enough money. I think I'm going to make it through this trial. No, oh, I got laid off for a little while. That's okay. I've got enough money in the bank. I'm going to make it through. No, oh, COVID hit. That's okay. I've got enough money. We'll be all right. Or conversely, if only I had enough money. Here comes this trial, and if only I had enough money, then we'd be able to make it through. If only I had enough money, then I would be able to make this happen. So this is the, the next thing that James addresses. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humility. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. He says, look, if, if you're asking for faith and you're receiving wisdom from God, if you're asking in faith and receiving wisdom from God, then, then allow the person who's poor to, be, um, to boast in his exaltation. And let the one who is rich in his humiliation. You see, when we know who God is, when we have a relationship with God, then the, the worldly possessions that we have don't matter. Because if we are poor, we recognize that when these things are done, He is going to exalt us, to raise us up. Because it's not in our status, it's not in our power, it's not in the money that we have, it's not in our resources. It's not in how much people like us or don't like us. But it's in our relationship with God through Jesus that we are raised up from this poor, helpless state to a place of exaltation with Him. And conversely, for those who have lots of material wealth, in their humiliation in worldly terms, is where they find themselves 
being glorified with Christ. In fact, Jesus Himself gave us this example. Philippians chapter 2 in verse 5 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Jesus had this position of glory and power from all eternity with God the Father. And He laid all of that aside to take the form of a servant. And it was in His humiliation, in His uh, humility, in His being a servant, that He fulfilled the desires of the God the Father to be united with us so that we might be in relationship with Him and we might know His love and we might return love to Him. And because He did that, then therefore He is exalted to the highest place. This, therefore, is what we also ought to be doing. Whatever riches we may have, we set that aside and we use it so that we might humble ourselves becoming a servant. Becoming a servant of God and a servant of others. And it is then in that humiliation, in that humility, that we will also be raised up with Him. So whether we started down here as poor and needy and get raised up and exalted with Christ, or we started up here in worldly standards with lots, and we are humbled then to the point of servanthood, both then are raised up and glorified with Christ together. Because otherwise, those who are rich, those who have all of those things, are going to perish and pass away right along with all their stuff. This is not just a condemnation on those who are rich, right? There are people who are rich who are also wise and understand what their stuff is and isn't. And they are humbling themselves. And there are people who are poor that just wish that they were rich. And they need the same admonition. That all of that stuff is going to perish. And if that's what you're looking for, if that's what you're hoping in, you're going to perish right along with it. Listen to the way he describes this. And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. Listen to that imagery. And I have a garden of sorts. I've, I've tried doing things with plants and with grass. And when I water, it does pretty well. But I have had flowers that every single year I forget to water them. And if I forget to water them for a day, they begin to droop. 
And if I forget to water them in July when the sun is out and it's really hot, for two or three days, the flowers wither up and fall off. And if I forget to water for like a whole week, the whole plant just like sags. And if I forget to water for two or three weeks, the thing is dead. It's gone. And it just begins to crumble and turn back into dirt. And I look at it and go, oh, another year. How do I do this every single year? So I bought automatic timers. But this, those who are rich and putting their hope in riches, whether you have those riches or not, if you're putting your hope in riches, it's going to be that same thing. We need the water. The life-giving relationship with God, that's what we need if we're going to thrive and, and live. Because apart from that, we aren't going to have any wisdom. And when those trials come, like a scorching heat, we are going to wither. And if the trials last for a little while, we'll begin to sag. And if they go on, we'll begin to fall over and to shrivel up and die. Because we're lacking the wisdom to count it all joy when we encounter those trials of various kinds. Knowing for those who are being watered, you are going to be steadfast. And that steadfastness is going to find its full effect in you so that you will be complete and perfect. Not for you, but for your relationship with God because you are going to be living every day in light of your relationship with Him. Wisdom is truly living well. And the only way that we can do that is if we have this relationship with God. And the only way we can have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ, His Son. Which is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, And because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It is my hope that as you go through this week and you encounter trials of various kinds, which I'm sure will come, and you find yourself not counting it all joy when you hit those, that your next response will be to ask the Lord for wisdom. Because He delights to give it to you. Let's pray. Father, we do not want the trials. We do not look forward to the trials because they are hard. But Lord, we ask that You would help us to be filled with joy when we encounter them nonetheless. Because we know that they are refining us like fire refines gold that it's stripping away all of the things that would distract us or pull us away from You. 
so that we might see who you really are and who we really are in you. So Father, I pray for those that are here this morning. I pray that you would fill them with wisdom. Fill them with wisdom in the knowledge of you. That they might love you and delight in you day by day this week. And whatever their circumstances, they might rejoice because of their relationship with you. Father, we ask for this. For the sake of the glory of your name. That you might be seen as glorious first by us and then by those around us. And we thank you that this is possible because of the gift of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.